in-depth and God-filled conversations with some of the brightest names in contemporary Christian music and worship. This is The Artist Interview with Gordon T. Welcome to this week's episode of The Artist Interview. I'm your host, Gordon T, uh, and it's my absolute pleasure to scour the world of contemporary Christian and worship music to bring you some of the most amazing talents, wonderful stories, and great music as well. And I'm absolutely thrilled to have a very special guest with us who's been a leading voice in modern worship music for over two decades. He's written some of the most beloved and inspiring songs of our time, including 10,000 Reasons, Bless the Lord, The Heart of Worship, and Blessed Be Your Name. He's won multiple awards, including two Grammys, and has influenced countless worship leaders and churches around the world. I guess by now you probably know in the moment we're going to meet Matt Redman. But before we do, let's hear one of his new tracks. It's called Son of Suffering. Blood and tears, how can you be? There's a God who weeps, there's a God who bleeds. Oh, praise the one who would Son of Suffering by Matt Redman. Hey Matt, how you doing? Very good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. You know what, I've got to just say, I'm personally very, very grateful for your music and your ministry. It is such a joy to sing the things that you produce. I really love worshipping to them. It's been an extraordinary journey over the years for me uh, in worship. Oh, I love so, that. But I would love, and I know the listeners would like to know a little bit about your background and you can rewind time really to go as far back as you wish. Um, yeah. there's, plen- there's plenty of space for us to find out. Uh, were, you, were you brought up a Christian? Tell me from right at the start, what, what was home life like and how did Christ come into it? Yeah, so my family did not go to church initially, but we were uh, living in this village in England called Chorleywood and it's a very uh, great thriving Anglican church there called St. Andrews. There's actually a couple of good churches there, a a few, but that was the one that we were attracted to. My brother and I, we were very young, but all our friends were going to this church. And so we said to our parents, oh, can we go? And they ended up becoming Christians. But my dad had a big struggle with depression. He actually ended up um, taking his own life when I was seven years old. And so my life took a real different turn. But the interesting thing was, I already had something of that church environment in my life by then. And Louis Palau came over to uh, England, sp- spoke at QPR football stadium no. when I was 10 years old. You, yeah. I, I, I was 11. No that way. Is, that, is where, that is where I became a Christian. Me too. Uh, oh, Louis I love that. And I only went to it. I went to it because there was a girl in the CU at my school who had a crush on. Amazing. I, I thought, great, I'm going to go because I'll sit next to her on the coach. She didn't even turn up. No way. I just, and, I just, and, and, and Louis Palau just told me all about God. Yeah. That's, that's amazing, Matt. Yeah, oh, okay. So, so, so it was kind of cool for me because, um, you know, I, I, that night he was focusing. One of the things he talked about the night I was there was the father heart of God. And in, in fact, I've seen video clips since of, of the night that I became a Christian. And, you know, I can see why it appealed to me. He, was, he preached the cross like I'd never heard it, but also this thing about the father heart of God. And so I became a Christian uh, and then had some pretty rocky teenage years, just more family trauma and drama and, you know, challenge. And But by then I was in a secure place. You know, God was my rock, my refuge. He, I knew enough of him 
to know that even when things weren't going how I wanted them to, even when things were very turbulent, I did believe he loved me. I did believe he hadn't exited the building. I did believe he still had a plan. And somehow, even though I couldn't understand it, I guess I had the grace to believe that he's got me and, you know, it's going to work out good. And actually look back on life and think about that time in scripture where Joseph calls his son Ephraim. He says, because Ephraim means um, the Lord made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And for me, uh, I can see I would never volunteer for those seasons. And some of it still doesn't make sense to me, but I can see how God hadn't um, left and he was in much more involved than I knew. And he was working a lot more than I knew he was, you know, and what I do now with all this music and stuff, it has the seed of it. It's right back there in that soil of suffering when I was a kid and a teenager. And because I started writing these songs and singing these songs because I needed to, it wasn't because I wanted to sing them up front on a church. It wasn't because I, was making an album or something like that. It was literally just because they were the most stabilizing thing in my life. Felt like when everything else was breaking and shaking apart, I could go in my room and sing these little worship songs and suddenly the whole world felt a little bit saner and everything felt a bit more stable. Wow. So was it basically you with the guitar as a teenager, you just picked up and you just were singing to God? Yeah, I just loved these songs we were singing at church. I mean, they were... Um, musically, I found them appealing, but in terms of spiritually, uh, you know, I think I just found them reassuring. You know, the things we were singing about were the perfect medicine for the for the you know pain that I had. Yeah, well, do, do you remember whose songs you were singing back then? I mean, we're talking we're talking about end of the eighties, isn't it? Yeah, a lot of it was the Vineyard Movement. They they came out with these uh, this series called Touching the Father's Heart, and the first three. I don't remember what order they were in, but like unto the King, we exalt your name and Jesus, holy anointed one. There was just the most rich, like resource of wonderful worship songs. It was, they were truthful. They were emotional. They felt real life, but they felt biblical. And, you know, I, 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 I say these, sometimes these days, um, you know, we know the throne room of God is a place of reverence, but it's also a, a place of refuge. And, you know, when the whole world's not making sense and everything's shaking, you can go to that place and it's the one unshakable place. If you hang out in that place, um, it's it's so helpful. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess some of our listeners won't really know what, what you mean when you say hang out in the throne room of God. They won't necessarily have experienced the source of worship, that sort of heartfelt encounter. How did that first sort of happen to you? Was it just literally just from seeing you on Sunday morning? But when did it transition to also in your own private time as well how did that come about um yeah i i was going on these sunday evenings at our church and what i realized is okay we're not just singing about god that would be like step one and then step two would be we're singing actually to god there's like a personal dynamic and that was going on too but we had a third step which i hadn't experienced before and that was that we were encountering god so it was a sense of knowing his presence knowing his um, closeness in a special way, and it's and it's hard to define, but um, it's that's what I think uh, I call it the people of God in the presence of God, pouring out the praise of God. There's a dynamic that happens in these moments that 
you don't really find anywhere else outside of the worshiping singing church. And um, so I loved that dynamic. And then I just didn't want to go six more days. You know, I didn't want to go a week without singing these songs again. So I started learning guitar and started singing them myself at home too. Wow. At what point did someone say, Matt, why don't you come and lead up front? Yeah, I mean, I was in a church where they really encourage young people to develop their gifts and to um, get really involved. And that was a, a real key value of the church and actually it was fantastic. Um, they would trust you with a lot. And, you know, so I was leading in the worship services from probably 15. Um, and, you know, I, I at times couldn't believe they were trusting me with what they were. You know, I felt like I'm still young enough that if, if this goes great, I get an encouragement. If it goes badly, they get the blame because what on earth are you putting a 15-year-old out there for? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it, was a, it was a nice little golden season there where it wasn't a whole lot of responsibility and a lot, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. But, and I, I loved it. You know, I didn't really want to be up front. I just didn't have any desire to do that. It felt quite like a stressful idea to me. Um, but... Once I started doing that, I actually I loved seeing what was happening. You get this great view of what's going on in the room and you get to partner with God in helping lead people. And um, yeah, I just, it felt very natural to me. If, and, the, and then the songwriting came and, and that was the final piece really, because then you really get to lead with your own distinctive, your own voice. You get to say exactly what you want to say. Sometimes if you're borrowing other people's songs, is is brilliant, but there's a level of finding your own vocabulary and finding your own way of talking to God. And particularly um, with the youth movement, Soul Survivor that grew up, we needed to find some new vocabulary and like a new way, new language of talking to God. We used a lot of older songs too, but it felt like that that shouldn't be a hundred percent of what we were singing. So that was the thing where I started accelerating the songwriting because I felt like oh, we actually need some songs here. And of course, at the same time a little bit ahead of us cutting edge who became delirious and started to do their thing. So you could see God was orchestrating something really special. It was this maybe kind of new expression of, of worship music and it was happening in lots of places in the world, but definitely in the UK. And it was kind of cool to be part of that. Yeah. I, I, so I actually first met you, I think it probably was about 1990 and my, my maybe 91, I'm not sure, my, my then girlfriend and I drove around at the M25 and ended up going to... There's St. always Andrews. a girl involved in your story. Do we have notices? In, in fairness, I, I am married to the same girl from in this story. Uh, so it's, Okay, it's, that, that's, that is actually amazing. <laughs> that's good news. So, and, uh, yeah. and, we, and we came around to, to St. Andrew's Chorleywood. And to be honest, I wasn't going there to see you. I was going there because we'd heard that there was some good stuff with God going on and it would be exciting yeah. to be there and and you were leading worship and it, it was a great evening um but um, but uh, so you know even even St Andrew's reputation had spread uh, over over to the south side of London and uh, and people wanted to go because God was there and I think that's one of the things you said you, said, you mentioned that you went you went to the church because other kids were going to the church but I think once once there starts to be some gravitas about a place the presence of God's there the, the worship's just on fire and more and more people come in who maybe no real intention of initially meeting with God, but extra people just get drawn towards it as well and encounter that. And I think that's very true for Soul Survivor. Now, because this um, program doesn't just play in the UK, it goes out worldwide. 
perhaps some people don't know what Soul Survivor is. Can you tell us how did you get involved in Soul Survivor and what is or what was Soul Survivor? Yeah, basically this youth movement that grew up, um, there was already a family conference called New Wine that was happening. And I, I was grateful to be part of that. And I got to lead in the youth uh, section of that. And then out of that came this um, very natural transition to being like, okay, let's have a, a thing for, just for young people. Uh, and if you, uh, the main expression that was a summer festival. And so I don't know if people from around the world would relate to this, but in England, if you go to a summer festival, you're probably going to be camping in a field, probably some kind of agricultural showground, <laughs> you know, with these massive barn-like buildings and then, uh, and then, and then, you know, thousands of people camping, ready to get absolutely, you know, freezing and wet whenever, whenever some storm happened. And he does it. Why, is it, why does it do that? Whenever it's Christian festival, there is a tendency for it to be some rain involved, isn't it, there? Absolutely. I mean, I literally have seen tents like washed away, you know, it's like, but um, I think the first year started with couple of thousand might have been 3000 I think the next year doubled and it just kept growing and growing and it was a lot of great things and ex really expectancy to encounter God there and I think one of the key dynamics was that we spent a lot of time worshiping through music and so and like I mentioned delirious were involved they were called cutting edge back then um they would come and lead and we'd have our le leaders come in I'd lead too and it just had that sense of this is something that God is breathing on. You know, you know, sometimes when you're doing something, your own strength, you're trying to get some momentum to it. And, and you know, the difference when you see something like God, it's like he's ordained it and he's breathing on it. He's, he's given it some sacred momentum. You, you know, that the works of your hands, if it's like the sums greater than all the parts, if you add up all the things you guys are doing to try and get this thing happening, what's actually happening is way, way more than that. And it and it felt like it felt like that was the case. And we're seeing a lot of people come to know Christ every year at these things. And um and then I guess what happened from there was that was making some ripples. So partly because of that and partly because of a big event at Wembley, uh called Champion of the World, Wembley Stadium, which I got to be part of in a similar time period, it started to attract some attention from around the world. Um, so we started traveling a little bit more and particularly um, uh, a couple of labels, record labels from America came over and they were like, hey, we'd like to help you get these songs out a bit further. So um, it was an interesting time. There was a lot going on. Yeah. Exciting though. Really exciting by the sounds of things. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah. In the middle of it, this is what I'd like to find out about. How did you manage, if you don't mind me asking, maybe it's an ongoing battle, I don't know, to make sure that you're keeping the focus on Jesus and giving the glory to God and not accidentally going, I'd like a bit of the glory as well. Firstly, I think the values of my church were really great in that regard. It wasn't about superstars or this person's deserves more credit than this person. It was a very like servant heartedness was a real big value there. So, and I, I'd been immersed in that um, environment from, from young. So that was really helpful. Uh, I think it, you know, um, some cool little things like I mentioned Wembley. I mean, it's a funny thing. You just do. I only lived, what, 30 minutes from there. So I led worship there 
wonderful Wembley Stadium crowd. It was a really, really special thing. And then I was back home that evening, you know, late that evening, watching Match of the Day like I did every, every other Saturday night, <laughs> watching the, the football highlights. Yeah. And, and those little things, they kind of keep it real. They're like, okay, that was fun, but we're back to real life now. And honestly, in some of the more exciting moments, maybe you get to lead somewhere special or maybe something special happens or maybe something, you know, unusual happens with the momentum of a song or record. You just have to try and be ruthless with your heart. For me, that usually means before the end of that day, trying to get on my knees, remember who it's about, who it's not about, asking God to search me, particularly to search my motives. Motives are a tricky thing. You know, you, we, we all love to judge other people's motives. And the, the Proverbs remind us you shouldn't do that because you can hardly even judge your own. I mean, you obviously can to a degree, but sometimes you need the Holy Spirit. You, you know, you say, Lord, search me and like the psalmist said, and see if there's any offensive way in me, you know, and he'll point those things out. And sometimes it's just like you enjoyed someone's congratulations a little bit too much or a certain moment happened. You thought, oh, that was cool. I did that really well. You know, and you just, you got to have a little heart check on these things and deal with them. Because if you don't deal with them when they're small, I think they probably get out of hand if you feed them. And th and that's definitely a thing. You you can't, you, you've got to be careful not to feed this, monster that could be the ego right so you, you you you've um you surround yourself with people who aren't going to do that my tour manager for years was my brother tom 10 years younger than me being bossed about by your brother who's 10 years younger than you every day is, is good for the soul good for the heart you know if you're on these massive stages sometimes and then you've got your brother telling you off because you're two and a half minutes late to something then uh that's very good news. That, 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 I can see that could help. It's always good to have someone to keep you in check. And it uh, sounds like a good There's to There's nothing that, like a family member to do that. Yeah, they, they say it as it is. I can I can imagine. So I was, in fact, I don't know whether I should do this now because I was going to say it's a fantastic thing that if I look at Spotify, for instance, 10,000 Reasons had over 200 million streams. And I think I will say that because I don't think you're going to get big-headed about it at all. It's like, glory to God, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah. And that would be an example of what I'm talking about, where for some reason he helped us with that song and he breathed on it and I was clueless through the whole journey. I mean, four chords and some words, there's no pre-chorus, there's no bridge. I wasn't even going to put on the album because I didn't know if it was finished. And it was actually the producer, Nathan Knuckles, who said to me, hey, uh, I don't care what song we're dropping off, but this one's going on. If he hadn't said that, I don't think we, we'd wow. have recorded it. <laughs> and then even when it came out, we didn't have a clue. Um, we liked the name of the title and put it for the album. We didn't have, there was a couple of other songs in that record I thought were, you know, stronger. And then, um, so it's really wonderful to see how God breathed on it and all the stories that came back and different things. And, you know, you get into the, the sphere of the immeasurable, that that's the stuff I love when God does something immeasurable. You can't put it on a chart. There's no graph for this thing. It's kind of off the charts of our reasoning and rational thinking. And that's kind of what happened with a song like that. It was the speed it went out at. I remember arriving in South Africa one time. It wasn't very long after the record came out. And we just started the piano motif intro for that song. And the whole place just erupted. And I was like, no way. The song got here before us. Wow. That's crazy. And then... Stories coming back. Um, one of the 
most uh, kind of intense ones were these prisoners who were on death row in Bali for drug trafficking offences that they committed uh, a few years previously. But since then, they've become Christians, like full-on worshippers of Jesus, and um, by all accounts, you know, making a big difference there in that in that prison. But the authorities decided they still had to face their penalty, and and so they had to face a firing squad. But as they did that, they were singing Ten Thousand Reasons," and that story got back to me. It's actually in the Times newspaper, and and then I'm through a few other people. Met one of the pastors who was present during that moment, and um, it was super humbling but also you kind of just take your hands off it you think that wasn't me that was there's no i can't achieve things i know who i am i know what i did what i put into that song that's got to be the breath of god that's got to be a, a holy momentum that only came from him yeah well it's it is a beautiful song i did look at some of your other things i thought i'll go and have a listen to the tracks which are the least popular Matt Redman tracks on Spotify. I love that. I, I, I thought it'd be interesting. I thought, well, why, why are these? Why are these not popular? And yeah. actually, as I listened to them, I thought, no, these are pretty good still, actually. So I, was, I don't know why. It's, it is exactly. And I think some of them only got eight yeah. eight thousand listens or something. Like that was your lowest uh, track. Yeah. Which, when you compare to, yeah, like, you can't. It's, it's no rhyme or reason. I, I couldn't work it out. So I, it is this thing where you know I said earlier some things where the sum is greater than the parts. Like, and it's the same with songs. You take some of the great songs in the last 20 years how great is our god so it's a lovely melody says some good things but this you you can't sum up the wow factor of that song by just putting the little pieces together there's something on that song um before that shout to the lord would be an example of that um recent times maybe waymaker or reckless love or there's some of these songs it's like this is great but this is what this is achieving and doing around the world and in people's hearts it's like the sum is greater than the parts. There's something special happening here. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to move on to play your second track. Um, so tell us a bit about Halfway Empty, which before you do, I'm just going to tell listeners, this is an absolutely superb track. So just get your hearts ready to hear this because it's great. Matt, tell us all about it. Why do you write it? What do you hope to achieve with it? I'm super encouraged by that, Vex. I love songs that convey something of the heart of God and... I hope this one does. It's really just about this, um, the sense that God's grace in our lives is never going to run out. It's absolutely in, um, inexhaustible, you know, and, and to the point where even when our cups are completely overflowing to the brim, you know, and, and overflowing, his grace is not even halfway empty. And obviously it, that's just a poetic phrase, but the point being that, there's so much more in his heart for us than we even know. And there's so much more he has to give. And um, that's a pretty beautiful thing. So it's just, yeah, it's a song about the uh, immense grace in the heart of God towards us. Blessing, wave after wave of your blessing. Again and again, every day your mercy new. Oh, what an amazing God. Are you? Cause you give and you give so lavishly And your grace is not even halfway empty My cup overflows I have all that I need Still your grace is not even halfway empty You give and you give 
Halfway Empty by Matt Redman. Absolutely beautiful track. It's really touched me. I'm so grateful. I'm really looking forward to playing that more uh, here in the UK. So, so thank you, Matt. You know, you've shared a bit about some of the struggles of growing up and some of the things that were hard and difficult. And you've also shared about actually finding uh, comfort when you came into God's presence and the amazing things he's uh, done in you and through you. It would be wonderful right now. I, I bet there are loads of listeners who just going, yeah, my situation's too hard for me by myself. Um, it'd be great if you're happy to pray right now for listeners. I'd love to, yeah. Uh, Father, thank you so much that you're always more at work in our lives than we know. You're always closer than we realize. And pray for anyone right now who's struggling to, to, uh, for that to be their reality, that they, they would see a, just a sign, an encouragement, something, whether it be... Um, your presence or the fellowship of another person or something beautiful they find in your word or however you choose to do it. But would you reveal yourself in, in a special way today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Matt. Um, just a quick question about the Bible, if I may. Uh, is there like when, when you were writing Halfway Empty, was there like a Bible passage that you're going, yeah, this is, this is the bit that I just want to, it's inspired me? Or, or what was it that inspired you to write it physically? Quite often songs have, you know, like it's a Bible verse or a, or a word or a phrase or something, you know, where that becomes the seed of the song, something you're reading in scripture. Um, for this one, it's it's the other approach I take. Um, Eugene Peterson, the late Eugene Peterson, he had a book called Under the Unpredictable Plant talking about Jonah. He, and he's he's talking about that moment where Jonah's in the belly of the fish and he's and he's praying this intense prayer. But he said, what's interesting is there's nothing about that prayer that's original. And it, but it's not just like, oh, he prays one psalm or he prays a couple of psalms joined together. It's a little bit of this one, a little bit of this one, a sense from this one, a phrase from this one. It's all this glorious overflow. Um, it's almost like he's been feeding on the word. And then so when he's in an intense moment, what comes out of him is filled with the word. But it's not just he's not just reciting something. And I think that's the same approach that I love for songwriting. You try and feed on the word, you try and let that inform your life and your heart and your mind. And then in your intense moments, be it joy or pain, uh, and you're singing out something, this kind of heart overflow to God. Sometimes it might be a direct quote of scripture, but other times it might just have an essence of the truth of scripture. Maybe you're not using exact word or phrasings, but everything about it feels biblical and true and in line with scripture. And, and I think that's probably the story of this song. It's, it's not a, script, a scripture quote, but I hope that people recognize uh, the truth that in it is, lines up with scripture. Yeah. Oh, well, I certainly did. So I imagine lots of people will. It's just absolutely great. Love it. So let's talk about the album because uh, we're recording this in well, the end of February uh, 2023. Just saying that for those people who might be listening in the future on some sort of catch up sort of service. Um, so yeah. the album uh, Lamb of God uh, live album uh, it's just just recently come out. Can you tell us where was it recorded uh, and how did you get all the songs onto it? I'm trying to think if I was writing songs, I, I would struggle to know. 
uh, which ones to put on it. I don't write songs because my songs would be awful. But tell us about your process and, and, and that moment when it got recorded. Where, where was it? So we recorded it at a place called The Mission in San Juan Capistrano in Southern California, Orange County. Uh, actually, this place it was founded 1776. It's basically the birthplace of what we now call Orange County. And in fact, the oldest standing working building in California is there, the, the little chapel there. Um, so quite a phenomenal place. Um, and it has some really beautiful settings. Um, so some of the songs we recorded, the, the kind of gentler songs like Halfway Empty, we recorded in uh, the courtyard area, which if you look up on YouTube, Halfway Empty or King of Calvary or that new version of Heart of Worship, they were recorded there. It's just stunning little little place. But around the other side of that wall, we recorded the rest of the record, and they're, they're the bigger songs. And actually, it's in the ruins of a church that came down in an earthquake in, in the uh, early 1800s. And um, again, it just looks stunning. It's such a rich visual setting to record in. The aesthetic's amazing. Um, but it's also wonderful standing in a, you know, a place that's that, that old, singing brand new songs. And so it's really wonderful how that came together. And then, yeah, the songs... I, I guess I probably would write 30 or 40 songs and then we try and figure out which ones are rising to the top, which ones are feel like right for this record or worth recording. Um, some of them had already been leading, like Son of Suffering, and some of them were brand, brand new. And it was wonderful seeing them come to life. You know, a few of them had never led before until the recording, actually. It's, you know, there's a few that I wrote last minute that made it on. and So that's always a joy, seeing these songs you know, people wrap their voices and their hearts around them, see them come to life. Yeah, and there's there's 14 songs on the album, so it's, it's over an hour long, and it is a really big piece of work, isn't it? So uh, how long did it actually take to record, though? Yeah, there's a couple of songs that are like seven or eight or nine minutes. So, yeah, because we've got the Son of Suffering Live is, is, is seven and a half, isn't it? So, um, yeah, that's... Yeah. But, you know, sometimes if a song just needs a little bit of time for you to worship to it properly, it's worth it. So sticking on a, sticking yeah. on a seven and a half minute song... Good job. That's what I say. So, to the recording, how, how long did it take? Was it like a an afternoon, or did you have to keep going back and do more? Yeah, we had a, we just had the day there, um, and so we recorded in the courtyard in the afternoon, and then early evening, before the sun went down, we recorded it in the the bigger space. And it was actually wonderful because there's uh, I don't know like 100, 150 people there, but they're all worship leaders and worship singers from the area. Um, I'm blessed to know quite a few people from churches out here and then wonderfully uh probably about 50 of them drove in from las vegas for the wow. day which uh my md and keyboard player um called leonard he he's married to a lady called janice and she's like a choir director and that and they have a wonderful choir from different churches in it's like a unity choir from different churches in las vegas and when i when i said uh are we getting singers together? They said, oh, we'll bring some down. I'm thinking they're maybe going to bring three or four. Ended up being over 50. So that was amazing. Wow. Well, and, and I've got to say, it comes through in, in some of the songs really beautifully, the, the whole yeah. swell and sound. You can, is... tell, you can tell people are singers. There's moments when they're putting some harmonies. There's a track where we took a section from an old song called Total Praise, a gospel song, and we put it on the end of Lamb of God. And if, you, if people take a listen to that, there's some beautiful harmonies and parts going on. And that's because the people in that crowd, they, 
they're all singers and they're all full-on worshippers. Yeah, it was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And The Son of Suffering, uh, that was recently uh, in a certain show, wasn't it? Yes. Tell us, tell us about that. And, and for those people who don't know, what is the show? The show is called The Chosen. And um, a lot of people know it. It's had nearly half a billion streams at this point. Uh, they're on series three and really just telling the story of Jesus as he walked the earth. Uh, I think it's done in a really um, kind of compelling way and a really relevant way. And, uh, you know, I've been enjoy enjoying it myself. And so when they reached out and said, hey, do you want to partner on something? Maybe we could do a song together. I think their original thought was we'd go in the studio and do something new and film something. And I had another thought. I, we had just finished recording uh, this album at The Mission, and a few people had said to us, hey, that looks like Israel. Or, that look, you know, I think a couple of people even said that looks like The Chosen. <laughs> and so... When they came to us and said that, he said, hey, check out this stuff. We were wondering about the song, Son of Suffering. I think some of the lyric of it would really fit your, your uh, show, but also visually, it's a great matchup. So we were thinking we'd take some of your, um, some of your footage and some of ours. I don't have to wave my hand to hands away. The lights go on. I'm not going on. <laughs> yeah. Matt's got automatic lighting in his room. Yeah, <laughs> and he's sorry. just turned off because he's sat still too long. So That's sorry right. about that. Hey, oh, you, you go. got them back. You got them back. The people, people on the radio yeah. didn't see that, but, but, but oh, anyone sorry. on YouTube might That's a does. treat for the visual. That's, that's <laughs> you know, a little bonus for those watching. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, so um, you know, it was a great matchup between their footage and our footage. And so we put it together. And I didn't know how they were going to use it, but they were they they ran with it in a really lovely way. They ended up putting it uh, playing before the the uh, they they put the pre the uh, premiere of uh, the last couple of episodes of season three in about two thousand cinemas and movie theaters, and so they put it uh, as the opener for that, which played before the uh, show began, and then they put it uh, on their online premiere as well, and then on YouTube. So. It's lovely how they've got, got behind it, but I, I really love how it came out. There's some beautiful moments. We have this line in the song about, um, uh, oh, praise the one who's reached for me. And we realized that that happens about five or six times in the song. And actually, it, we've got five or six different examples of Jesus embracing someone or reaching for them in, from the chosen footage. So we managed to match those up. And, you know, I found it really emotional the first time I watched it. Sounds absolutely Great. So, so if people haven't seen that, though, where, where should they go to see it? You can go to the Chosen's YouTube official channel, and you can find it on there. Or if you just search on YouTube, Matt Redman, the Chosen, you'd find it that way. And but make sure you watch the Chosen as well. If you haven't seen that, it's it's great family viewing too. Uh, and I, I think actually a lot of people who aren't used to going to church have found it a helpful entry as, into uh, the life of Jesus too. So it's you know. Use it however you like, but I think they've done a great job. Yeah, and I think initially it was crowdfunded, wasn't it? Which is quite yeah, amazing. amazing. Um, and now, now you can get it on Amazon Prime if you're in the UK. Definitely, I don't know yeah. where else in the world, but anyway, it's it's definitely worth translating um, into sixty-two languages now. Wow. Okay, yeah. that's that is amazing. I I did not know that. So uh, extra facts here from Mr. Redman himself. Yeah. Um, okay, so. We've missed out a lot of your story, though, Matt, because you you told us that you were in uh, Watford area, uh, Chorleywood, yeah. um, and then a record label came over and said maybe they can get your records out a bit. But you've also been a sort of a bit 
a bit over in the States and then a bit back in the UK and then a bit yeah. over in the States. So, so yeah. tell us a little bit about how things progressed, if you don't mind me asking about it. Well, a lot of it has been around church planting. So we've been part of some church plants in the UK and we've been part of uh, one main one in the US, but we helped another one a little bit too. And so that's been really our story of why we've moved from England to Atlanta, back to England, and then to California. And that's been a, it's been a great journey. Um, you know, and what's been really cool is the church plants have been so different. I mean, the one called The Point in the, um, in Sussex in England, I remember, you know, the, 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 the couple who come down to pass that were there and my family, uh, a few of my extended family, you know, and then uh, a few other friends. There's probably, I don't know, 11, 12, 13 of us in the room. I remember looking around thinking, man, this is really starting from like, you know, I mean, I know all these people and we've got a big thing on our hands here, but you put the gospel in front of people, you try and do church as biblically as you can and it grows and you see the kingdom at work. And then on the complete other opposite end of the spectrum in Atlanta, our first public meeting uh, out there for Passion City Church, we had three and a half thousand people show up. So it's a whole different way. It became apparent that gathering a crowd wasn't going to be the challenge. The challenge was going to be discipleship and structures and all that kind of thing. So, but what I loved again was like seeing, okay, two di completely different cultures, two different expressions of church, two completely different sizes, but the gospel works. When you try and do this and put the gospel before people, it bears fruit. Wow. that That's really interesting, actually. I, I, I didn't realize that it was, church planting was sort of the main reason that you moved back and forth, but it's, um, it's a, yeah. a really cool thing that, you know what, church plants need great worship. So, um, uh, although actually talking about great worship, I was listening, um, to the live feed from Asbury. Have you, have you seen any of the Asbury stuff that's going on? Yeah. My daughter actually went down there the other day. Yeah. How, old, how old's your daughter? And she, she's 22. She's okay. called Maisie. And she, she really had a beautiful encounter with God there. She, she was, uh, she's at college. She was living, I don't know, six hours drive. So a few of them decided, let's drive down. Oh, see what's happening. That is really cool. Yeah. So what I was going to say, and dear listener, don't think I'm being negative, but the worship, it didn't sound polished at all. It was really quite yeah. pared back, quite basic. And yet people were having amazing encounters with God, yeah. despite it not being all, all, I'm going to say all singing, all dancing. It just wasn't. It was just intimate with God. So although I was saying church plants need great worship, they don't need to be perfect in anything like that, yes, but it, absolutely. it's absolutely hard. And, isn't and that it? was her biggest takeaway. That was her biggest takeaway. Like there's no big production here. There's no one knows who these people are leading. They're not even getting time to rehearse these songs. They're just leading and, and it, and it's enough. It's beautiful. And, and you know, and um, I guess it's really about the presence of God, right? If you, that's the distinguishing factor. In the Old Testament, Moses actually says to God, don't send me without your presence. What else will distinguish us from everyone else? And I think that sometimes, you know, the music, maybe it's not going to be our distinguishing factor. You know, there's a lot of great music in this world. And it might not be that the church is going to have the best music or always have the best music. There are times in, the, in history where it has, but that might not be the thing, you know, that, the distinguishing factor is going to be, is God with these people? And uh, I think that was a lovely 
uh, sign of that in Asbury. Yeah. yeah, it's cool. In fact, that just reminded me of something. I think I read somewhere about when you were younger, must be quite a bit younger, uh, you were in, in the church, Mike Pilavachi was, was leading it. And these are something very strange because he was a bit discontent with, with the worship. What, what, did, what, did, what, did, what happened there? Tell us about that. Yeah, that's the story around Heart of Worship. So he felt like we'd really lost our way in, in worship as a church. We, you know, we really valued approaching God through music, but it had become more of a consumer activity of like, oh, do I like this song? No, but I like this song. Is it too loud? Is it too quiet? And just we'd lost this sense of showing up to bring an offering to God. Like, what are you bringing today? And so, yeah, he, he said, right, no more sound system, um, no more band for a while. We're going to pack it all away. We're just going to get in a room with our voices, our Bibles, and our hearts. Just check we can still find our way to to a place of worship. And, you know, that was a challenging thing for me because I'm the worship leader. I felt a little bit like I'd have I failed, you know, <laughs> and, and, and my job. And then also, you know, and it does bring up some questions because obviously one of the functions of meeting together is to invite people in and people who haven't been at church. And, and um, there were some elements of that. I think we have, we really have to think about in terms of, is this a welcoming environment uh, and a relevant one, that kind of thing. But what seemed to outweigh all of that was just this sense of, wow, We've stripped it all away and we've really found again what it means to show up with the intent of um, not just being spectators or consumers, but throwing ourselves into this thing for the glory of God. And so when I wrote the song Heart of Worship, I was just describing what happened. When the music fades, all is stripped away. I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song coming back to the heart of worship. This is the artist interview with Gordon T. Have you heard of something called ChatGPT? Uh, I don't think so. That's okay. It's it, it's an AI thing. Okay, I'm a little bit of a nerd. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I like it's, I like there's a lot I like of about AI right now. Yeah, there is. So I'm just telling you, you're going to write some worship songs with the AI. Oh, I did. I did. I, I did try that. I did. I did ask it. I, I'll tell you. So we'll do, we'll, we'll do both these then. Okay, so cool. I'm glad you mentioned it. So, so I asked it to, um, to tell me, uh, so literally you just type in English and I typed in English, why is Matt Redman popular? Okay. Now remember this is a computer, uh, and it, it just, it just, it just, it goes away, works out the answer and comes back. This is what it said to me. Okay. So you can't get a big head because it's just a computer. It's just ones and zeros working out. Matt Redman is popular for many reasons. One of the main reasons is his ability to write and perform worship songs that connect with people on a deep level. His songs are known for the heartfelt lyrics, simple melodies, and powerful messages that inspire listeners to draw closer to God. Matt has a unique way of blending contemporary sounds with timeless truths, making his music accessible to people of all ages and backgrounds. He's also collaborated with other well-known worship leaders and artists, which has helped him reach an even wider audience. Additionally, Matt's humble and genuine personality has endeared him to many fans and fellow musicians in the Christian music community. Overall, Matt Redman's popularity can be attributed to his talent, authenticity, and his ability to create music that resonates with people's hearts and souls. <laughs> That's amazing. What, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, firstly, I, I, I can't believe how 
intelligently written that is. I mean, I haven't done anything to do with AI, but that like the the uh, just the wording is is pretty impressive. I think I might be out of a job it, it, soon. With us there. Yeah, no, no, you, you aren't, you aren't. Okay, so so because my next question, so these these are the exact um, words I, I said. Write me a song that's brand new in this. Uh, oh, this is it. write me a song that's brand new that people might think was written by Matt Redman. No okay? way. So and so I thought that would be interesting to see what it does. So and it's written. It's written a verse, a chorus, a verse, the cor- a chorus, a bridge, a chorus, and an outro, which I thought was was not bad. But then when I started reading it, I went. Yeah, actually, it's not. It's not great. So, verse two is when I'm walking through the when I'm walking through the fire. You are with me, my desire in the valley of the shadow. You are my light, my hope, my hero. And I went, no, I don't. I don't think that Amazing. does sound like. Hey, you have to right send now. me. You have so, to send me both those. I want to. I want to show them to you. <laughs> I, I, I will. That is absolutely amazing. I love what I love. What nerd you are. You're ahead of the curve here. This is cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, uh, in fact, I, I, I will confess that the, <laughs> the intro at the start of the show was also done with ChatGPT. No way. So, it was great. That so, is um, so, so cool. yes, it's, so you can get up five so, minutes so later. You, 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 sir, are not out of a job because I don't think its songs are very good. But maybe it won't be too long till I am that's out crazy, of a job, and wow. uh, and we'll have AI preachers. I know that would be weird as that's well. Actually, uh, that's actually amazing. Yeah, it, I've learned something today. It, I love this. I, I will, I will, I will send you where to log in to get to get onto it because it's it is amazing. All right, okay. Okay. So, um, uh, just a quick thing about what what the next what the next thing what's what is it that God's working uh, in you, um, and what do you think is calling you to over the next, I don't know, five years? Um. Wow. I mean, honestly. The thing I love most is the songwriting. I love leading worship. I love the moments when this things like this record, Lamb of God, come out. That's all great. But I love the songwriting. It's what I'm doing the most regularly. I get to do it with a lot of different people. Even on this record, one thing people wouldn't know, there's 23 songwriters on this record. And so people, people, you know, sometimes, you know, they see your name on it and they think you did it all. I mean, it's not the case at all. I love the co-writing process. I love... I think we, you can bring out the best in each other. You can take songs, especially when you've written a lot of songs for a long amount of time. It's kind of a cool thing to be in a room with different people. You're changing up the formula the whole time. So the, yeah. the equation's always a little bit different because you got this writer you've never written with or they brought this idea in. And that's kind of what happened with Halfway Empty, you mentioned. Um, three writers I'd never written with before. We met um, backstage at the... Dove Awards had a lovely connection. I said, send me something. And it turned into that song. And it's beautiful. And so for me, yeah, more songwriting, co-writing, um, different streams of the church. That's my favorite thing to get in different rooms, with different streams. And uh, I'd love to do more of that. Wow. Okay. That's, it sounds like there's plenty still to come then, doesn't it really? So, which is good. So, yeah. Talking of people co-writing with you, should give a shout out to Beth, I feel. Am I right that Beth, your wife also writes songs with you? Yes, she does. She's, she's, she's a great like initiator of a song. Sometimes she'll just have a idea like, Hey, I've got a title or I think you should write a song about this. And then she'll check in at various points. She's a great complete to finisher too. I'm blessed with your name. She, she did some great, stuff uh to to help finish that one which i would never have got finished at that and, and of all the lyrics that you personally have written what's the one which you feel was just most god inspired um 
way back in the year 2000, I wrote a song called, it might be 1999, uh, The Father's Song. And it was just a song that jumped out and surprised me. Like my wife had gone out for the evening, picked up my guitar, wasn't thinking about anything, wasn't thinking about the theme of the song, wasn't thinking about God even particularly, you know. I just picked up my guitar and I started singing this thing. I've heard so many songs, listened to a thousand songs. There's one that sounds above them all, the father's song, the father's love. You sung it over me and for eternity it's written on my heart. And and I just, in this moment, had this thought of, wow, like, you know, we're singing all our songs in his direction, but he actually initiated this process by singing over us. Just as he loved us first and now we love him, he sung over us first. Zephaniah 3.17 tells us the Lord rejoiced over it, you singing. And just the way that song came together has more cause than any of my other songs, which is another sign I think was God was giving me some special help. I didn't even know I knew that many chords. (laughs) But it was just, um, you know, it's an old one. It's not one of the most well-known of of my songs, but it's a very precious one to me. Matt, I guess um, it'd be useful for you to know, how how do they connect with you? How do they find out what you're doing? Um, Where where do they go on social media and on the web, et cetera? Yeah, mattredmond.com on the web. Um, at Matt Redman Music on Instagram, Matt Redman on Facebook, Matt underscore Redman on Twitter. Okay, so a few varieties and variations. You can tell you're an old. I'm not on Be Real. No, you're you're, you're not on Be Real, and, and you didn't mention TikTok because you're you're of my yeah. you're of my generation. So um, not on TikTok, so no yes, no yeah. not TikTok, but um, but but you're on Insta, so that's pretty cool. So okay, um, could you please introduce the last track that you got for us? Uh, it's called Lamb yes. of God. Yeah, Lamb of God is a title song from the album, wrote with a couple of friends, David Funk and Jason Ingram. And the the idea of this song is, hey, we see all these natural wonders, you know, oceans, the magnificence of the deep ocean, the blazing stars above that reach us, um, and so many other things beside that, mountain grandeur and all these things. But there's one wonder that outweighs all of these, the greatest single wonder we'll ever uh, see, our souls will ever see, it is the Lamb of God on Calvary. And so it's a song about the cross. In fact, this whole record, there's at least five songs on the cross. The centrality of the cross is running through this record like a little thread. This is probably the peak. And that was Lamb of God, featuring David Funk by Matt Redman. And thank you so much to Matt for coming and sharing a bit of his journey and his wonderful music with us here on The Artist Interview. And there are many other interviews from other great artists with great stories and great music too that you can catch up on right now. Just go to your favourite podcast platform and search up The Artist Interview. And while you're there, do us a favour. Why not like it, share it with a friend, tell some others there's loads of blessing and it's great ministry great music we'd love more people to hear it thanks so much for joining me i'm your host gordon t and look forward to being with you on the next episode god bless you